If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, I am Randy Andrews and today is my 50th episode. I'll be discussing Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom along with my good friend Eric Woods. You'll hear a couple thoughts from the various guests on my show and what they've loved and also we'll look forward as well. Eric and I will discuss the cast, the background, the effects, the great score by John Williams all today on Soundtrack Alley. It's great to have you on the show again today. It's great to be back. I'm really excited to be talking to you about uh, one of my favorite movies. That's awesome, because I was really hoping to be able to have you on this episode, because um, I know how much you like Raiders of the Lost Ark, and being able to talk about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is really great as well. Oh yeah, it's uh like when you invited me, I was it was no hesitation. I was like when and where and let's do this. I I love talking about this movie. I love defending this movie. And of course, I also love talking about the score. So, I cannot wait to get into this. All right. So, briefly before we get into talking about Temple of Doom, as I mentioned in my intro, today is, well, the recording is my 50th episode. I can't believe I've gotten this far. And so I've got a few uh, previous moments uh, to take a couple minutes to talk about or to have it played to enjoy. And uh, my listeners can be able to enjoy that for just a moment. Hey, this is Josh Howell, author of The Fierce Are Fading. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my friend Randy for uh, achieving a milestone and reaching the 50th episode of his podcast, Soundtrack Alley. Um, I met Randy about a year ago and was immediately impressed with all the work that he has put into this podcast. The first episode I heard was episode 11, where he discussed The Last Starfighter, which is uh, a cult classic favorite for me. 
But then I went on his site and uh, saw all this other content that he had outside of his episodes that included articles talking about, you know, some of my other favorites like, uh, you know, old school Kevin Costner, Robin Hood, and The Rocketeer, and a lot of other classics. Um, he, uh, he, uh, he, he's brought in uh, composers from uh, favorite movies of mine like The Man from Snowy River, but he doesn't just bring in people about movies, he brings in composers of video games uh, and of other mediums. Um, he's covered all the genres uh, on his podcast to include superhero movies, um, action movies, dramas, horror, sci-fi, um, you got your mainstream stuff like Pirates of the Caribbean, you got your cult classics like Escape from New York, he's got everything on his site, He and, uh, and he just uh, released an episode last week about Gen 13 the movie, which I forgot even existed, so I am so happy to see that he is uh, doing extremely well, and uh, that he's got more uh, lined up uh, after the 50th episode, and so I just can't wait to see what he releases next. Uh, congrats again, Randy, and uh, keep it going, buddy. Hello. 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 Hey, everybody. This is uh, John. I'm joined here with uh, Jerry and Colin. Just want to say a uh, big congratulations to uh, Randy Andrews. Hitting the big five zero, not age, but podcasts. Way to go, buddy! Even though we've only been on like ten percent of your episodes, that's right. And we've done like four times more than you have as far as the number of episodes. So you're going to need to start cranking those out quite a bit quicker to catch up to us. But we love your show. Thanks for having us on. We hope uh, for nothing but continued success for the next fifty. Yep. All right. Congrats, Randy. Keep listening. Hello, this is Eddie with the Daydream Instruction Manual podcast, also with uh, Falcon Punch Thunder Dads, Mickey Turning a Great Again, and Paranormal Dads, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Randy Andrews and Soundtrack Alley. We're, uh, Randy has hit 50 episodes. Congratulations, sir. Uh, congratulations to po uh, Soundtrack Alley. I'm uh, looking forward to what you continue to do. Uh, discussing and sharing your love and knowledge of all these great soundtracks and sh shooting that awesome, exciting stuff into people's brains for them to listen to and be exposed to if they had were not aware of it. So uh, super good job. Well done. High fives all around. Looking forward to many more. All right, Eric. So let's get into Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Uh what do you like most? Well, what is your one of your favorite things about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? <laughs> it's funny. Uh, about 10 minutes ago, my son asked me the exact same thing because I was telling him I was going to be on the show. And so I was showing him a couple of scenes and he's like, Dad, we've got to watch this tomorrow. He saw it about four or five years ago and I don't think he remembers much of it. So, um, And it, I, I couldn't answer the question because I think the whole thing is great. I think it's so well written. I think it's so much fun. There are so many just genuinely great moments, genuine laughs, amazing special effects, wonderful action sequences. It's hard for me to pick just one. Um, you no, know, I think there maybe I could pick one of my favorite shots, and it was just after the scene where uh, Indy has saved uh, Willie, 
And Willie mentions to Indy, she's like, hey, you know what, let's let's get out of here. And Indy spins around to Willie and he says, right, all of us. And then it just goes into that wonderful, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, music for the slave children's music with those militaristic drums. And we yeah. get this awesome shot of Indy just standing there as the light from the mine uh, car slowly illuminates his face while the camera's pushing in. And Indy is just absolutely dead serious and when you first see this movie you have no idea that from that moment on for the next 30 35 minutes you're just gonna get one action scene after another it is non-stop it's breakneck speed from that moment on and i just love the absolute badass look on indy's face as he's not going to take this anymore he's gonna kick some ass and he's actually going to do something heroic. He's going to save the kids. It's not so much about the stones anymore. It's about the children. And I absolutely love it. And it's all said in that one shot. That's fantastic. Because like when you look at the various scenes that um, Harrison Ford was in. And you know they even did these, these little um, humorous things. Like, I really found this funny I, as I was researching for the film. Uh, while filming the whipping scene, the crew actually played a practical joke on Harrison Ford. So while he was chained, chained to a large stone, Barbara Streisand appeared dressed in a leather dominatrix outfit. And she proceeded to whip him saying, that's for Hanover Street. The worst movie I ever saw. And then she continued to whip him for Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope and making all that money. And uh, that Carrie Fisher then threw herself in front of... Oh, Carrie Fisher appeared and threw herself in front of Ford to protect him. And Irvin Kirshner chided director Steven Spielberg, Is this how you run your movies? And the entire sequence was actually filmed. That yeah. just cracked me up so yeah that's nuts and nobody's ever seen that and yeah. that's what's insane like i i thought that would have been part of the, the like big box set that something. came out right yeah, yeah and the outtakes yeah. and and it just seems like lucasfilm is so chintzy on some of these outtakes and and there's just so much more to discover with not only temple of doom but raiders lost ark and last crusade as well and just all the behind the scenes kind of shenanigans that went on that yeah. I think would just be absolutely fascinating for anybody that is an Indiana Jones fan or just even a film fan, but something like this and all those that, that crazy cast of characters that came out. I mean, what a what an interesting group or yeah. mob to come in and kind of do this uh, staged <laughs> kind of uh, practical joke. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's a legendary story, and I'm shocked that we don't have video. Um, mm -hmm. of it, or at least some sort of evidence to say, yeah, okay, well, they say the entire sequence is filmed. Let us see it. I think that would be hilarious. Yeah, it would have been would have been really fun to actually see. Um, another thing I liked about it, well, I mean, this wasn't something great, but Harrison Ford, he had herni herniated his back in a scene where he was attacked in his bedroom by a thuggy assassin, and the production had to be shut down for... Harrison Ford to be flown to Los Angeles for the operation. And the huge majority of Ford's work in the fights and chases were actually the stuntman, Vic Armstrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ford would have screwed I up his back. I didn't know that before. 
Yeah, he messed up his back bad, and then he had some um, experimental surgery uh, done on his back that I think the entire production were just like, oh, no, 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 no. Why don't you just go to a, like a quote-unquote real doctor and, <laughs> and get this fixed up? And I can't remember, but there is a, there's a behind-the-scenes um, video out there of Spielberg in the nightclub sequence saying that, you know, Ford is doing okay and he had this experimental surgery done. Um, and again, I'm not sure how long he was out. It was about maybe six to eight weeks. And yeah, they had to film like the entire fight with the uh, with the thuggy guard was all done by uh, by Ford's uh, stunt guys. And then when Ford came back, um, all of the close-ups were done. Um, oh, so nice. they were still, and that's just so great. And it just, again, just, the, the 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 skill and the uh the genius of Spielberg able to work around Ford so that they they didn't lose any days um so yeah it's really fantastic and, and you know it's seamless you you cannot tell you can't tell no. which one's Ford and which one is is a uh, stunt guy and I'm not sure whether it was um oh man what's well, his name now I forgot well it said it said in my notes that. Uh, it was Vic Armstrong. Yes, Vic Armstrong. That's right. Yes, okay. who's stuntman yeah. on Raiders. So, um, and if you looked at them side by side, they look almost identical. Oh, nice. So it's uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm, it's amazing that they were able to to work around this this issue. And uh, I mean, we all know this isn't the first time that. Well, maybe it was the first time, but you know, Harrison, Harrison Ford seems to be injury prone. So, <laughs> you know, because he <laughs> broke his leg on the Force Awakens. Yeah. Um, you know, he's crashing his airplanes now and, and now and again. So. Um, you know, he's been in car accidents, hence the scar under his chin. So, but you know, it was great. Yeah. And it was amazing. Again, like I said, Spielberg just able to work around, uh, Ford's injury and make it seamless. And nobody knew unless you were told. Yeah. Now, do you think there's a connection between Indiana Jones being in that club, which is called Obi-Wan club, Obi-Wan being like the connection with the, uh, China's last imperial dynasty. Do you think that's connected with that uh, video game that they made in regard to Indiana Which Jones? Was the, what was the video? The Infernal Machine, or was it Fate yes. of Atlantis? It was Infernal. I think Machine. it was the Infernal Machine or something. Um, I can't recall, but I, I'm just wondering whether I think that that does the game, or is there a comic book that ends with him stealing, um. Nerhachi and oh, that and would it, have been interesting. You know, to I'm, see not, I'm not 100%. Sh- again, I, I'm not 100% sure, but it, it sort of seems familiar that oh, there, that there could a, be a backstory. Yeah, I, I think there is. Uh, there's a uh, there's a diamond that Indy is looking to acquire in his meeting with Lao Chi. Yeah, um, and it's called the Peacock's Eye, and it's a diamond that. Young Indy and his friend yeah. Ramy Bowdoin right. um, go hunting for after World War One ends in okay. the Young Indiana Jones Adventures. I don't remember so. the Peacock's Eye. I don't remember many of those episodes. Um, I mean, I yeah, do, me, like, me I neither. do like some. I do like some for sure. But I mean, just there were so many that it's tough for me to know which ones which. But I'm now going to go watch Peacock's Eye for sure to see the <laughs> to, to see the connection. But um, but yeah, I, again, I don't know whether there's a connection between the video game or the comic books, but now that you're saying that there's probably a connection between young Indy, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, 
But oh, I, I mean, I do like the fact that we, again, in the tradition of Indiana Jones, even though this was only the second one, we are we start with the tail end of a previous adventure. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we get into the main story. So I think that's uh, I think that's great. I I liked how um, how with Kate Capshaw, they had to teach her how to scream. Right. <laughs> Yeah, she didn't know how to scream at all. No, and that's really surprising to me. And she didn't um, realize that. She didn't even read this script. Um, <laughs> I mean, a lot of the things that were happening to her on on screen, like the bugs and the snakes and things of that sort, again, she she admits that, you know what, she really didn't pay much attention to the script and didn't realize. I mean, she had nervous breakdowns on set, huh. um, especially one cut scene with when she gets flung off the elephant during the ride to Pancot Palace. There was supposed to be a snake floating in the water. And uh, again, something she didn't know about. And so it was up to her and, and, and Stephen to go and see the snake. And Capshaw basically chickened out and said, no, I'm not doing it. So they cut that portion out of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, But I'm shocked that she, she did the bugs. And again, when she, she just admits that she really didn't pay attention to the script or even, I guess, read it carefully – because she had no idea she was going to do these scenes with bugs, which is just crazy. Yeah. But um, eventually she did it. But you, again, you could see it in behind-the-scenes videos. She is just freaking out and terrified. Terrified. So uh, there's not a lot of acting going on in that sequence with the bug tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I noted was that even with this film, uh, it reemphasized that Indy had a fear of snakes. Mm-hmm. And uh, like in one scene, I guess in the campfire scene, mm-hmm. Willie mistakes a snake for the elephant trunk, elephant trunk. Yep. And so she grabs it and tosses it aside in annoyance. And then Indy is visibly disturbed by the snake being there. And uh, it's just kind of a humorous thing that, you know, reemphasizes the uh, connection and sure. the con- continuity of the indie character in general. Yeah, so. there's a there's another uh, snake sequence, and uh, I'm not sure whether you picked it up while watching the movie. Um, just before, or just after he picks up the, uh, the Shankara stones, he then looks up and he sees the statue, and coming out of the statue is a snake head. Oh, And yeah. he kind of looks up and then tips his cap to the snake in full respect for that animal. <laughs> Yeah. And again, that's another awesome uh, snake gag. What's interesting, though, is that he does not react to the snake that they are eating at the banquet, which I thought. Oh, hmm, yeah. That that's was interesting. Kind of and all those little baby different. snakes kind of like coming his way. So I'm I'm kind of surprised they didn't do a little gag there. But I guess there were enough gags in that sequence that maybe Indy reacting to a snake would have been just too much. But anyway, that would have been another chance to kind of throw in a snake gag as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I like there was that scene where uh, Willie was dealing with the soup and and eyeballs rise to the surface. Mm -hmm. Well, in that scene, it was really difficult to shoot, I guess, because the eyeballs were attached to the bottom of the soup bowl with like stick ups. And then she was supposed to give the soup a good stir to release the eyes so they could rise, but the stick-ups held pretty tight. So oh, they did. So they uh, they didn't rise like they should have. Oh, you see her funny. dig. You see her digging. 
Like when, <laughs> when, when you know about that, again, if you, if you, once you start reading the behind the scenes of this movie, you start paying attention to that sort of stuff. And she goes in and digs hard for those eyeballs. <laughs> you can tell in the cut. It's just insane. But again, it's something you don't pick up right away because you're expecting something crazy to come out and you're not really watching, you know, how she goes into the soup or whatever. But yeah, she is. She's it's like she's digging in dirt and uh, <laughs> and they 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 pop up. I mean, the way they're supposed to. But yeah, yeah. they were um, <laughs> they were in there pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another actor that I found to be kind of actually familiar to me was uh, Jonathan Key Kwan. Mm-hmm. And even though this was his film debut, I mean, we see him again in The Goonies. Right. And uh, so he was kind of familiar to me. So what did you think of his character as um, Short Round? I, I love Shorty. Um, uh, there's a lot of people out there that have issues with, um, you know, kids in, in movies. But he, he plays off of Indiana Jones so well. And I think the chemistry between Jones and Shorty is so good. And Shorty just isn't some goofy kid. He has... Uh, things to do and what I also like is is Indy playing a father figure more so in Temple of Doom than he did in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for his own biological son mm-hmm. and so I felt that you know I love the backstory between him and Shorty I think uh, Key is absolutely fantastic I think one of his best scenes is the poker scene between he oh, and Indy. Yeah. And what's great about that scene is that that's how uh, he auditioned for the role. Um, again, there were thousands of kids that were auditioning and they were taking anybody. And it just so happened that uh, he and Harrison Ford did the card trick um, scene and they hit it off and he basically got the role based on that. And And they just have wonderful... Chemistry, and that's such a great scene as well because we get the backstory between, uh, we get Willie's backstory as well. Um, it's a wonderful scene of exposition that just doesn't seem forced. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, there's so much going on. I mean, we learned about the Shankara Stones. We, we learn about Willie. We learn about Short Round all in that very short time period. And it doesn't, you don't have to spend hours or, or you know, like 10, 20 minutes trying to figure out who these people are. You just get it in that nice kind of concise uh, scene, which is uh, which is serious, which is also humorous. It's just so so well done, and and not a lot of people talk about that scene and for how really great it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the <laughs> one of the funny thing scenes I always think of is where Andy gets into that room that's like the death trap, and yeah. even yeah. though it's like full of tension and everything. It's so hilarious. It is. It's just, it's just utterly funny. Yeah. And I don't know why George Lucas or Steven Spielberg thought this film had a much deeper and darker tone. And it's like, you know, it is a bit of a darker movie, but man, the humor is right there. It's yeah, just perfect. I'm... Oh, it, and it is, and then and this film doesn't get enough uh, credit for its humor. And 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 I'm not talking about just stupid humor it's really Mm. smart well-timed humor 
again, I, I'm not sure what you think of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I think that's an awful movie, and I think the humor <laughs> in that film is 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 forced. It's totally oh, yeah. forced. Yeah, I agree. Here it, it it comes out naturally as as is as what the you know Indy would say those things, and the conversations he'd have with Willie and Short Round and and the people around him. It just felt natural, and it was the the comedy, especially in the bug trap uh, sequence. Um, was a good way to relieve some of the tension, but then it just keeps, and also just to, to really hammer home again, that this is kind of a B movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a stupid B movie, but, No, you know, you're watching, you know, spikes come out of the ceiling and they're about to get smushed and there's fulcrum release levers. I mean, that's right out of these B movies. Yeah. And, but they play it serious, but also the, the, the dialogue seems, real and mm-hmm. again you're going to laugh a little bit because of the tension and it's and and you're you're kind of on edge and, and nervous and and i think they play it just so well and and again it's it's serious i mean there's 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 lives um at stake here but also it's um it's a little lighthearted. um oh, yeah. again don't take this film too seriously um uh, because we're supposed to have fun and I think it's mm-hmm. just a, it's a fun sequence. Again, I was showing it to my son no more than half an hour ago. And I, I was showing him <laughs> that one scene. He goes, I really want to see the scene with the spikes and whatever. And the grin on his face, the grin on his face, he's 11 years old. And, uh, you know, he loved it. And again, like he said, dad, we got to watch this tomorrow night. I think it's fantastic. I think it's absolutely great. Yeah. Um, did you know that David Niven was actually attached to the role of Captain Philip Blumbert? No, I didn't. Yeah, but he died before the film began, and so it would have been a tribute to his work on The Guns of Navarone, right. uh, which was one of the inspirations for this movie. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I I didn't either. I was like, oh, that's really cool. I thought it was interesting uh, also that with Steven Spielberg being the director... Uh, he had like certain trademarks that he would put into the film for us to identify with it being Indiana Jones. And that mm-hmm. was Indy grabbing his hat before descending, before a descending door at the last minute. Mm-hmm. He's like, I ain't losing my hat. That's right. Right. <laughs> so uh, that was one unique thing I liked. Oh yeah. And it's, yeah, those little, those little um those little gags are 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 so much fun and again, you know, Indy doesn't normally lose his his hat in these in these movies. And uh but he also cares about them. I and mean, of course, you get that wonderful gag in in Last Crusade as well where you know, after the tank goes over the cliff and you know, he's he's survived that, doesn't have the hat and he's just beaten to a pulp and as he crumples down on the ground, the hat comes flying in and it's Again, it, it just it's what make these it's what makes these movies uh just so much so much fun. Mm-hmm. And uh and I love those little those little things that you know Spielberg will, will throw in now. And oh again. yeah. Yeah. And uh one th- I know this is like almost at the end of the movie, but uh one of the things I learned was that when Indy cuts the, the rope on the bridge um, there's like 14 dummies mm-hmm. that fall off the bridge when it's cut and there's batteries inside each one of them 
to operate their arms and legs uh, to make it look like they're really kicking and flailing. And I thought that was brilliant. Oh, totally. You know, it's like, that's really cool. Yeah. And they look real. And they had one shot at doing that because they built that bridge, especially for the film. And uh, can't what. Okay, I'm not really sure what they made it out of, but it was pretty strong material, so they had to blast it. And uh, But then they realized, yeah, you you got to put dummies up there, and they've got to be able to fall and fall naturally. And uh, they are some of the best dummies I've seen because, again, the cutting. I mean, Michael Kahn's cutting as well in this movie is just absolutely superb. And, you know, the cutaway from, from Indy's close-up to him slashing the bridge to the wide shots and all, I mean, what, six, seven cameras they had set up, um, all running at different speeds. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they had this thing covered, but they knew that if they blew it, it was going to take weeks for them to reconstruct mm-hmm. it. So they had, they literally had one chance at getting this and they got it. It's really great. Oh yeah. And I would definitely agree with that. Cause like, you know, just so many things with the scenes of even on that bridge and how real it seemed and, and how much tension was there. And you just see Indy ready to cut that rope and, mm. uh, the, they don't believe him, you know, they don't believe that he's actually going to do it. You know, so. you know, what's actually really funny is Spielberg was scared to death. He would only go out a few feet on that bridge. He was directing uh, on land uh, through his monitor. Uh, the only people that were out on the bridge were whoever's lighting and the, the steady cam operator. And then, of course, Harrison Ford, who was running up and down that bridge like it was no, mm-hmm. you know, no problem. Spielberg was terrified. He'd go out, like I said, he'd go out a couple of feet and he's like, nope, that's enough for me. So he never crossed it fully. He never did. Um but again, Harrison Ford had no problem. So yeah, I, that was, I mean, I thought that was kind of neat. I mean, Spielberg Spielberg couldn't get out there and talk to him about it. So yeah, I I, I thought that was pretty good. I thought also inter- another interesting thing about like the props that they used was the minecart sequence. Mm-hmm. That that actually took place on a circular construction, but to to make it look like they were going through multiple tunnels and stuff, they altered the lighting every time the carts would complete the loop. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really uh, an amazing piece of cinema because you, you never really, you didn't know that they were, you know, on a circular track. It looked like they were just going through all these different various tunnels and it just, it made it look real. Yeah. And again, we talk about, uh, editing and special effects and, and things of that sort. And it's a, it's a really awesome combination of, uh, green screen effects, uh, of live action and miniatures. The miniatures were great. The miniature, um, minecart, uh, set that they built was absolutely fantastic. And the little characters that they had and, um, Again, to edit all that together, and and I mean, again, if you if you if you look at the behind the scenes stuff, those carts really weren't going that fast. Mm-mm. So I'm not sure whether they undercranked uh, the cameras to make it seem like it was going quicker. But um, again, Michael Kahn, uh, a lot of credit goes to him because uh, the cutting is it's 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 phenomenal. It just makes it seem like uh, things are going a lot faster than what they are, and of course. 
uh, John Williams is incredible action uh, music underneath mm-hmm. that sequence. Again, most of that sequence plays without music until about halfway through, and then Williams just ramps it up, and it's I, I don't know how in the world the orchestra played that because uh, the the woodwind playing and then the string writing, it's insane. It's absolutely insane, but it fits. It fits like a glove. I, I the, the sync points and everything. It's brilliant. That whole sequence is is just genius. So, yeah, great stuff. Yeah, I definitely agree. Because I mean, you know, just looking at that and seeing the effects of it and and then one one thing that always was puzzling me i was like well how is he how is that like uh priest or whatever he was what, Molaram? Doctor, yeah, yeah 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 how was molaram um able to like pull, rip into someone's chest and pull <laughs> yeah. out their heart and it's yeah. like it must be the the stones that are doing that. So. It's, it's you know it's black magic. It's 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 dark and and you know there's sometimes you just kind of gotta go. All right, well like that's that's what they do here, and for some reason that guy is still alive. And how's that possible? And and so you kind of have to, uh, yeah, think that. All right, I'll 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 go with that. I mean, if there's if there's an Ark of the Covenant, then you know we can have guys ripping hearts out of people's bodies and still having them <laughs> live although i mean it's like you know how did he get through the rib cage and and yeah and, <laughs> and various things exactly. like that but you know that's, that's some dark and sinister stuff that's just that's that's crazy and it's funny because i didn't know first time i saw this movie was on television um my parents refused to take me to the theater which i was so mm-hmm. upset I'm just angry at them. To this day, I'm angry at them that they didn't take me to see Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom in the theater. (laughs) And uh, I'd seen bits and pieces here and there, but then finally it came on television and my dad uh, videotaped it for me and then I finally saw it. But there was a lot of stuff cut out. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until later that I actually finally saw the effects of, you know, Mulleram's hand going into the guy's chest and pulling out the heart. I just thought that, you know, it it cut to from a shot of Mullah Ram's face and then the guy screaming and then the hearts in his hand. And I had no idea. I had no idea <laughs> yeah. that it was a lot more gruesome uh, mm-hmm. than, than what it was. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that whole sequence with Indy out there and kind of being kind of hypnotized mm-hmm. by the Mullah Ram. And uh, it just, it was, it was brilliantly done because you know, it made you feel for those characters and Willie going down into that cage and she's yeah. like, I'm down in this lava, and, you know, screaming. And, you know, it's just it, it builds that tension. And then you have John Williams music to ha- to be, have that there. And it's just wonderful. You know, it's just it completes that scene. Yeah, it's it's. Again, everything about this movie, I, I I love. I really do. I love it, and I think it's fantastic. And it it really makes me upset when Steven Spielberg and George Lucas kind of um, denounce it. And mm-hmm. you know, Spielberg saying the only good thing that he got out of it was his wife. And that's too oh, bad because that was Kate Capshaw. That was Kate Capshaw, and yeah. you know, but I mean, Spielberg was just coming off a divorce. Same with George Lucas. He's going through a nasty divorce. And, you know, they were, you know, it was dark times for these two. And so a movie of this sort seemed kind of natural for them. But I wish they wouldn't apologize for it because, mm-hmm. like any great sequel, it 
it uh it took a chance it did something mm-hmm. different again it's a prequel so you don't have to have marion so you can have mm-hmm. another quote unquote indie girl and that's what i like about willie willie is the anti marion i keep saying this i mean it's for all the screaming yeah. and 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 all the annoyances but that's her character <laughs> that's who mm-hmm. she's supposed to be whereas in raiders of the lost ark marion is a very strong tough woman who takes no crap and is and is just she knows what she she wants she knows what she wants to do she's tough and where willie and what i like again about this series and when you think about b movies and serials there's always a damsel in distress yeah and so finally in the second movie we get a damsel in distress and then when you go on to last crusade we get basically somebody else a different type of of indie girl yeah and and of course, we get Marion in the fourth one. But still, that's what I like about Willie in this one is that she is totally different. And and again, Indy plays off that. I mean, Indy's just annoyed to to death with her. And and there are some there's so many great jokes based upon that. And even Short Round gets into it. But eventually, you know, Willie holds her ground and she punches a couple of guys. But it's part of her character. And that's what makes her different. And that's what makes it a different relationship between Indy and her, not so much Indy and Marion. If it was Indy and Marion, then I mean, I, I, it wouldn't work one in this context. Mm. I don't think it wouldn't have expanded their relationship. And so it was, it was a, I think he was just perfect. I think that this, this movie was inspired. I, th- I love the story. I love the, I love the writing. I just like where it went. It was a brand new, fresh, daring adventure. And it was action-packed. It was fantastic. It was a thrill ride. It's everything I think that you'd want out of an Indiana Jones movie. And for me, it just ticked off all the boxes. And and, and I just, I've watched it a hundred times and I never get sick of it. I have a great time from start to finish. And even from, the you know, the, the song, Anything Goes, it just, it's exactly what this movie is. Anything mm. goes. And, yeah. and it's it's exactly what Spielberg delivers. Anything and everything. You see it. Well, yeah, sure. We're gonna have a guy jump out of a plane in a in a rubber dinghy, and he's gonna slow him down a mountain and go into a river. And it's like, yeah, okay, let's see how <laughs> this is gonna be done. But I bought it. Yeah. It felt real. It actually felt like it worked. And and that's what I I just I think it's a fantastic adventure. Yeah, I I I agree wholeheartedly because it's a fun, exciting movie. And one thing that really makes me enjoy it more is that it's another part of another adventure maybe that he was involved beforehand. And like we had talked about earlier that he had just come off from another adventure and here he was trying to get this other item. And, you know, he's a archeologist and, you know, he's studying at this university and yet he's still out there trying to track down these artifacts. Yeah. It's, it's not, um, there's no formula here where the other two then had a specific formula. Um, you know, we went back to Indy's university. We, we, you know, it just seemed like, you know, here's, here's the way it's supposed to go. Mm-hmm. And this one, Indy's forced into the adventure. And, and again, it tells you a lot about his character. And we discussed this earlier about how he it went from him getting to the stones and, and thinking about fortune and glory to i mean seriously this movie could have ended halfway through he had the stones he had them all he had to do was swing back over the lava head right back through the front door of pancott palace and out he goes and that's it but then here's the kids 
And that's where the movie changes. It completely changes. It's all about the children. And he sees, you know, the guards whipping the kids. And as much as, you know, the stones are still in his mind, it it's his decision that he's going to save all these kids. And then again, you think about India as a hero and, and what, what does he do heroically throughout these four films that really makes him a hero? And there, he doesn't do much in Raiders, you know, like heroically he's, it's, it's all for himself, right? He wants to get the Mm -hmm. arc. Same thing. I mean, the, in last crusade isn't about heroism. It's about him saving his father and his relationship with his dad. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is. I'm still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> but but Temple yeah. of Doom is really yeah. Indy being a hero. And, mm-hmm. I mean, the stones are secondary, and he finally gets the stones at the end, but he saves the kids. And that's yeah. what I think is is great, and that's what makes Indiana Jones a hero. Temple of Doom, I think, is truly the first time we really see him doing something genuinely heroic that's not for himself, but for somebody else. Yeah. Now... Taking us out of the context of Temple of Doom, just for a moment, I want to ask your opinion. What do you think about the fifth movie that they're trying to make? I hope they don't make it. I know they're going to. I hope they don't. I just watched the interview with uh, Harrison Ford. I think it was through GQ. He just looks he looks old, and he sounds old. And and I and I get it. He's only what seventy five. I think, yeah, and yeah. but I mean, but the it, you know, it's uh, it's not the years; it's the mileage, <laughs> and he's got both of it. It's the years and the mileage, and I yeah. just think that it's time for Harrison Ford to to hang up the whip. I think they should just stop making Indiana Jones movies. I think if they're going to do anything, I would love to see a, like an animated Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. television series to kind of continue on with different adventures, but you don't ha- necessarily have to have Harrison Ford in it. I do not want to see anybody else play Indiana Jones. No. Indiana Jones is not James Bond. As much as I, Indiana Jones is based on J- J- James Bond, this isn't a series like that. Where I don't think we're supposed to have 25 Indiana Jones films. No. I personally would love a like a, a 3D computer-generated animation, animated television show, which I would just... I'd line up for that and I'd, I'd love it. Or a, I don't think there's anything else you could really do. I just, I, mm-hmm. I just don't know how people are going to take a 75 year old, 76 year old man looking the way Harrison Ford looks right now and, and, and be able to take him seriously. I mean, I have a great story in my head for how this should end. But I'll <laughs> tell you that later once we finish the show. But I, I think it's got to be the end. I really wish the fourth one was the end, but I think they've got to make up for the fourth one. But I just think that they've waited way too long. Yeah. Um. And and I don't know. I mean, George Lucas isn't even involved in this anymore. Yeah. You know, John Williams, is he still going to be around to write the music for it? I just I just feel that Spielberg is is beyond all of this. Oh, um, yeah. I don't yeah. think he wants to make a fifth one. I, I, I think, or maybe he does just for the fun of it, and he can. I mean, these guys have got lots of money to kind of throw around. This movie's going to make a boatload <laughs> of cash. Anyway, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, they're going to make it. Will I see it? Yes. But um, I but still think. will you think, appreciate it? Probably not. I don't know whether I, don't know whether I will. <laughs> and, I, and, and now after seeing Indiana Jones 4, mm-hmm. I kind of wish that they end it ended it the way that Steven Spielberg wanted it to end. 
with them yeah. all riding off into the sunset during the last mm-hmm. crusade and credits. And yeah. even the title of the last crusade is the absolute perfect title for a third and final story. And I'm kind of glad that they experimented with four, but I think that having to see four and what came out of four, I just don't see how they're going to be able to improve on that. I just, yeah. I don't see it. So I think it's going to be cringeworthy at some parts. I mean, just again, Harrison Ford is 10 years older. Yeah. And by the time this thing comes out, I mean, he's going to be 77, 78 years old. Yeah. And I mean, sure, he looks like he's in, I mean, like in good shape. I mean, he doesn't look yeah. like he's overweight or anything like that. You know, he, he obviously works out, but man, he's kind of grisly and old and, and he, and there's some, he doesn't sound like himself either. He no. has this kind of really raspy, older man voice, which is, I don't know how this is going to work. So I kind of wish that it would just, just go away. Yeah. I, I would absolutely agree with that hmm. statement. Um, so let's get into some of the music because that's why we're here. Sure. We're here to, to appreciate not only the film and the action and adventure, but we also want to enjoy the music of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And what better way can we do that by knowing that John Williams scored the the film? So I've got a few cues I want to play for us today. Now I want to go into some detail on some of these. So the first cues I'd like to tackle is uh, the, the cue Indy Negotiates, the nightclub brawl, and Fast Streets of Shanghai. Now, I mean, I can appreciate how John Williams takes these pieces of music and really, like, gives us this frenetic, uh, chaotic action uh, for the music. So what do you think of these? Well, it's a one heck of an 11-minute sequence. Um, once this music begins with the opening track, Indy Negotiates, it does not end until Fast Streets of Shanghai. But even that, there is only like a momentary pause before we get back into uh, the next set of cues. And it just, uh, the amount of music and the amount of drama that John Williams had to cover in in this 11 minutes is absolutely stunning. And it, it, it starts off with a real kind of dramatic underscore track, but... Again, if you're just listening to it on its own, I mean, it's really, really great, but you got to appreciate it in context because Williams is, I think, having the most fun of his entire life with this movie and especially this sequence because he's mat- matching the, oh, what is that table called? The uh, the circular table. What is the name of that? I can't remember. Oh. Anyway, you know how they're passing around the the the, 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 uh, the oh, gold yeah, coins, yeah. the diamond. What yeah. do they call that? Um that thing in the middle of the table that spins. Ah, oh, someone's going to have to tell us in, in the comment section. Yeah. <laughs> I forget what that thing is called, but you know, they're spinning the table around and they're passing and you hear Williams doing this, this kind of like a uh, swirling string writing yeah. and it's matching the way that the, the table is, is spinning around. He writes a, a little motif for Nurhachi, which is just crazy. I mean, he's not even a main character and he gets a, mm-hmm. a theme and it's I just love the way that he's ramping up the energy for what is to come. So Indy negotiates again for it just being kind of underscore and underscoring dialogue. Williams is hitting so many amazing dramatic uh, sync points 
And then, of course, the nightclub brawl is bananas. It's just mm-hmm. absolutely insane. Um, there's even some jazz music, a variation on the Anything Goes song that also pops in there, although you're not going to hear it in the track that's available on the uh, expanded edition. And I think that was an overlay that wasn't a part of this soundtrack, but it was put somewhere else. And then, of course, you get Fast Streets of Shanghai, which is just a fantastic chase cue, um, which ends with maybe my second favorite rendition of, or maybe maybe second, third favorite rendition of the Indiana Jones main theme. And the Hollywood players are just as good as the London Symphony players. These guys are blowing their brains out performing this theme. And the sound quality is amazing. Wonderfully recorded by Lyle Burbage in Hollywood. And these players are playing some of the most difficult music, I think, of their entire careers. And for 11 straight minutes, John Williams is just letting it all hang out. And this is just the beginning of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely crazy. I, I love it. Again, I love everything in this score. <laughs> One of Williams' is best. And these 11 minutes, wow, it's just stunning. It's absolutely stunning writing. Yeah. So now let's play those cues.
So next, I've got Short Rounds theme, Nocturnal Activities, and the Bug Tunnel Death Trap. Now, briefly, we had talked about that uh, Bug Tunnel Death Trap thing, and then also, I really love Short Rounds theme. It's just perfect for this movie, and it um, it adds something to add that second character um, that Indiana Jones has, like a partner or you know a sidekick, and um, it's this the thing that gets me is it's about this innocent child who goes on these adventures and then usually is getting Indy out of the trouble mm-hmm. that he's getting into. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I really noted about the film was that, you know, Short Round is actually getting Indy out of this trouble. Very much so. so. You're right. He's quite a hero, and he gets a great theme. And it, and Williams performs it in one, wonderful variations. And uh, this one is, it's not too cute, but it's just, it's playful because, you know, Shorty's on his baby elephant, and then they're riding off to Pancot Palace, and... Um, I just like the way that, um, that this plays out and, and it, it goes from, you know, very playful to just huge epic sounding in the horns. And it's, uh, just a, a fantastic, a fantastic, I love I love the theme. I, I mean, the thematic writing in this score mm-hmm. is just a plus. And so, yeah, Shorty's theme. Um, I've always loved it. I always loved it. Yeah. And then what do you think of like nocturnal activities? Now, when I, when I was listening to this, I was really thinking of the banter that Willie and Indy had between one another. And at that one point, they were like mad at each other and they were in their rooms separately and just all upset at each other. And it just it was like this this playful and yet romantic theme that's taking place. Yeah, there's uh, there's three points of drama that's going on in this queue first of all it's kind of like you said their playful banter which then we get this just fantastic lush sweeping romantic uh version of uh of willie's theme and then of course it goes into the pizzicato strings and you know there's a little bit of light banter as indy's going back and forth to you know he's like i'm gonna you know go to my room and willie's gonna go to her room but eventually indy will end up in, you know in her room by the end of the night and then of course you get the middle section which just absolutely reminds me of a ticking clock and as they <laughs> yeah. wait and, and even at one point, you know, Harrison Ford, uh, Indy's, you know, arms are going up and down and Williams is matching the, 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 the motions. And then of course, uh, the thuggy, uh, guard is in Indiana Jones's room and we get, uh, we get an action sequence and there's a yeah. lot, again, a lot going on in a queue that is just under six minutes long. And, I, I don't know how Williams manages to, to keep it all together, but it's seamless. It is absolutely seamless. Yeah. So, so now, oh, or well, let's, let's see. Um, we got one more section to, to discuss about, and that's the bug tunnel and the death trap. Now, when we had talked about this earlier, I found the scene, it was tense, but it had that element of humor to it. Now, what did you think about that cue? Um, I think most of the tension uh, from this scene comes from the music because Williams uh, it does just an absolute job. Uh, sorry, excuse me, does a great job in conducting this cue. And what I do like about it is that it's a slow burn. It starts off really, really slowly. The you know the dun 
dun, 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 dun. it's just kind of like a slow kind of slog. You know, Willie's taking her time to get to the to the tunnel, and then all of a sudden she realizes that Indy and Shorty are in are in are in trouble. And yeah. as the you know the spikes get closer and closer to Indy and, and Shorty, the track speeds up, and and Williams is just in kind of like this frenetic, fast paced mode with again that motif, dun, 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 right? And it's just it just goes mad until finally the the release lever is is pulled. And of course, when you know Willie smacks the uh, the booby trap again with her butt, uh, the music <laughs> is the music is yeah. still at that fast pace. And and of course you get a great uh, rendition of Indiana Jones's theme as well. Although he's not really doing much again of the of the rescuing, it's really shorty. It's like, hey, come on, let's go. You know, get under this door so you can you know save your life. But um, mm-hmm. again, I just like I love the way that this thing builds up slowly, and that's all based on um, the way that Williams conducts the piece. Yeah, yeah. So now I'll play those cues. <laughs>
And uh, one, th I know, this is like almost at the end.
Yeah. Yeah. So sadly, we've come down to another end of Soundtrack Alley. Uh, the last cues I'd like to play today, the last cues I'd like to play are Temple of Doom, Short Round Escapes. Uh, the next cue I want to play from this set is not actually on the album. It's on uh, the John Williams 38-year compilation album. Uh, it's called The Parade of the Slave Children. I think it's a much better rendition of the um, uh, the Slave Children's Crusade to me. I, I don't know. Um, and then the last couple ones that I want to play is the Mind Car Chase and then the End Titles. Now, Eric, what have you thought of these? Uh, tell, you know, I... <laughs> When I'm listening to this album, you just skip over the Temple of Doom cue. Um, it's a fine source cue. It really is. It's terrifying. It's one of the scariest things that John Williams has ever written. And, of course, he had to uh, write it before uh, the filming of Temple of Doom. So this one, if I'm not mistaken, was performed by the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And yeah, so I think then, that's correct. So then that was used on set. Um, but it's... It's crazy, and 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 what I love, and I, I didn't even know what the sound was. You know that kind of um, that whirling, uh, airy sound I hear out at the beginning of the track. Um, almost sounds like a low whistling, and mm-hmm. um, you know I had no idea how in the world they did it. Well, funny story is that when I went to the recording sessions for, oh, I think it was Secret Weapons Over Normandy for Michael Giacchino. Mm-hmm. He was going to use these, and they're like little plastic tubes, and you wave them in the air, and they make oh, that kind wow. of that sound, mm-hmm. and you can hear it at the beginning of the Temple of Doom track. And he was going to add it to Secret Weapons of Normandy along with the the taiko drums that he added into the into the score. Eventually, he ditched that idea because it just didn't sound right. But that's when I'm like, oh my god, that's the sound from Temple of Doom. I mean, that's <laughs> where it comes from. So I had no right. idea that's what that sound was. Um, but again, it's just another tense, uh, slow build, uh, type of cue where, where just layers upon layers are added until it just, the, the screaming voices in it are just terrifying. What a great cue. Um, yeah. then next, uh, you're going to play short round escapes or the yeah. slave yeah. children short round escapes, uh, is one of the tracks that, uh, no, not short round. I think short round escapes and it has a great, uh, rendition of Shorty's uh, theme, uh, a heroic rendition of it, and that's a it's a fine action cue. Uh, the Slave Children's Crusade music, the concert piece that you're going to play, also has the uh, the concert version of yeah the I think, the parade uh, Shorty's, of the slave children. yeah it has the parade yeah. of the slave children, but it also has uh, short rounds music in it from the. Uh, the short round cue that we played earlier. So it's kind of a, oh, okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's a mix of both and it's a, it's a pretty solid recording. Uh, I think that's the Boston pops. It's a bit longer there. than the, yeah. Uh, uh, but as for, I mean, the slave children's, children's crusade, crusade the, the music that you're hearing on the soundtrack um, is the actual cue that's in the film. And it's mm-hmm. more of a, I mean, it's, it's really, it plays over top of a montage of indie, you know, basically kicking ass and, and sleep and, and, and uh, you know, rescuing the children 
and you get this wonderful theme over top of all that, but then it segues into again the the opening of the battle between him and the giant Thuggy, and there's some fantastic kind of militaristic uh, music that's being written there, and of course, um, as it pans down to the the rock crusher, um, you know, the drums are really kind of uh, you know playing the sounds of, of rocks crushing underneath this 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 cylinder, and it's it just really ramps ramps up the tension. It's a really really cool cue. Um, and then what minecar chase is next. Mm-hmm. Yep. And again, we've talked about it. It's, it's ferocious. It's yeah. bananas. I, and uh, one thing that I learned from you is that the music doesn't really begin until the middle of that actual chase. Right. Yeah. Like uh short round, uh, helps the action cue before that basically ends with a portion of the minecar chase type music, but then once they start hitting kind of the roller coaster of the mine car, the music is stripped away. You do hear the complete track, but the track doesn't start until about middle the middle section of uh, of that action cue. So you get to see and hear a lot. Like it sounds like a roller coaster mm-hmm. uh, in the movie, and there's no music that's playing underneath it. And then there's one particular sync point, and I really can't remember where it happens. the The music kicks in, and I think it's when you finally see one of the the, the the second thuggy cart uh, coming in mm-hmm. and, yeah. and then it start they start chasing Indy. So I think that's when the music kicks in, but it's just so fast and so difficult. Um, I'm not sure how many uh, takes they did. Uh, and again, yeah. you got to remember that this is the first time these orchestras are seeing this music mm-hmm. and the fact that they can play it almost perfectly after two, three, four, five takes and no rehearsal. Uh, it's absolutely it boggles my mind that yeah. uh, people can sight read and sight read music. I mean, there's a, the amount of black that was on that page. I mm-hmm. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they see it. I'm sure they see it differently than anybody else. I'm sure they see patterns and, and, you know, they're not reading it the way, you know, normal people read music. The, the musicians that sight read are geniuses and they yeah. do a fantastic job on this cue. All right. And so lastly, we'll play the end titles now, um, the version that we're going to play is actually from the credits of the movie. Correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. And the reason I, I think it's, it's interesting to hear this version because it's not commercially available. You can't get this anywhere else except from the film. So you're going you're gonna to hear some cheering in the background mm-hmm. uh, before we get into the actual track itself. Um, it segues in from a, from a, another cue called return to the village and the Raiders march. And, uh, there's a key change. And then William starts off with the Indiana Jones theme and it kind of goes along as normal until we get to the point where there's a counterpoint between Indiana Jones's theme and short rounds theme, which is just one of the greatest things that John Williams has ever done. Um, but what is interesting about it is that for every track that you have commercially available, of the end credits from Temple of Doom, like including the the expanded edition of Temple of Doom that was released through Concord and any other re-recording that's done. Mm-hmm. Nobody plays the Indiana Jones theme at the moment of that counterpoint the way that they do on the end credits in the film. Um, Indiana Jones' theme plays, but as Short Round's theme plays, that gets more volume. So Indiana Jones' theme in the brass is played at a much quieter volume. And it is only until the last couple of notes of Indiana Jones' theme where the brass then give a, give a, a louder blast 
Short Round's theme continues, and then Indy's theme is again brought down in volume. It's very unique. You never hear that, like I said, on any commercial recording. So I think that's why it's really cool to play the end credits from the film itself. But it's one of the greatest end credit cues, not only that John Williams has written, but like that's one of the best of all time. I think it's up there with the Empire Strikes Back credits because he's he manages to incorporate four, I think it's four themes. You get short rounds, you get Indy's mm-hmm. theme, short rounds theme, you get the slave children and Willie's theme. And they just play as if they were meant to be together. Yeah. And uh, John Williams, I think, was uh, the best of the best at writing end credit cues back in that day. Um, I mean, he, again, another perfect example of him and his wonderful crafting of end credit suites. Just listen to what he did on The Force Awakens and how Mm he seamlessly blends one theme into another. He was a master at it. But I think that out of all the end credits that were written for the Indiana Jones series. And I mean, there's amazing ones. Mm -hmm. I think this one is the best one. Cool. Yeah. So, um, Eric, thanks so much for being on this special show of 50 episodes that I've actually been able to get recorded. And it's just, it's amazing that within 50 episodes, I've actually had, 10 composer interviews and it astounds me yeah i just want to offer my congratulations to you i honestly can't remember 50 episodes because it was so far back (laughs) i mean i think probably what my 50th episode would probably have been maybe in my end of my first or second year and that was back oh yeah 1996 1997 um but i i i understand momentous occasions with with radio programs i mean i'm yeah we're in september here i'm celebrating 21 years of being on the air and doing the podcast so that's nice. how long i've been doing it but the fact that you're at 50 means that you love what you do um you're doing it on a regular basis obviously your listeners love what you do or else you wouldn't keep doing it mm-hmm. and you know there are a lot i mean i'll tell you a lot of film music podcasts that have come and gone and they don't even get close to 50 and the fact mm. that you're able to interview 10 composers in that time as well, like you're in your first year. Yeah. Um, it's really amazing. So, uh, you know, I offer my congratulations to you and I hope you, you keep on going and I, and I hope you keep having fun and that I hope that everybody that is listening to the show um, enjoys and appreciates what you do. Thanks. Thanks so much. Um, and so where can people find you? Sure. Uh, you can find me in various uh, places. First of all, you want to check me out on the net at cinematicsound.net. Uh, the show is also available on um, my radio program. Cinematic Sound Radio is available on iTunes, so you can just do a quick search for Cinematic Sound Radio and you'll find the show. Uh, check me out on Facebook at Cinematic Sound. Also, check me out on uh, Twitter. I'm uh, active in both uh, locations on Facebook and Twitter, so check me out on Twitter at Cin Sound Radio. So that's C I N sound radio all right and you can find me at soundtrackalley.net soundtrackalley.podbean.com my twitter handle is at randallandrews1 and you can also email me soundtrackalley at yahoo.com and for those of you that are listening maybe you guys know what the name of that circular table yeah what is that called it's on the tip of my tongue and uh, you know yeah 
I want to know. I want I want to hear it on your next episode. On episode fifty one, you better start off the show with the name of that thing. It's All gonna right. drive me nuts, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will do that. And so thanks all for listening today. And I'll play these last cues from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take the time to review my podcast on iTunes or even listen to it on Podbean. With your review, it helps me get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com.